0: Heard that song before? How many of y'all have heard that song before by the eagles? Raise your hand. Get over it. It says, uh, uh it says a world full of victims. Your mom is too short and your daddy's too fat. Get over it. So the name of the message today is Get Over It, obviously, right? So I'm Joe Davis, I'm the lead teacher here in the garden. We're continuing this little series called Move Over. It's actually not little, it's nine months. Uh, about preparing the way for Jesus in our heart and our life, ending with the gospel of Mark. But uh, what we're doing this last few weeks, we're doing a little mini-series within it during Advent season called Fresh Start. And so this week is Fresh Start, Step 3, Get Over It. It's a fascinating story. And what we're going to do is we're going to start off, before I read the passage, I'm going to give you some historical background of what's going on in Ezra chapter 3, 1 to 13. Okay, so first of all, in verse, the first four verses, let me tell you who Cyrus was. Cyrus was the king of Persia. Persia was the most powerful empire in the world at the time, and Israel was enslaved to the Persians. Israel was in bondage. They were in exile. They were not in Israel anymore. They were in Persia's land. It's not a good situation. Because of their own sin, God allowed Persia to come in and conquer them. Here's what the king of Persia does. Think about how amazing this is. He releases Israel. He has no reason to. They didn't beat him or anything. It wasn't a bet like they weren't Gator fans and then lost vet, and you know Israel were Seminole fans and won the vet and got to be released. It has nothing to do with that. But he just releases them. He gives them his blessing. Not only does he release them, he says, I want to bless you, and I want to allow you to go back to Israel to rebuild your church, your temple. Not only that, he pays for it. This is an amazing thing, right? This pagan king who doesn't worship Jehovah, decides he's going to release the children of Israel, he's going to bless them, he's going to pay for them to go and rebuild their church. So in Ezra chapter 3, 1 through 4, we see what happens. Israel comes out of exile, they all go to Jerusalem, and they're worshiping together as the foundation of the new church, the new house of the Lord, is laid. And it's a pretty amazing thing that's happening, right? This pagan king doing all of this, paying for the Jews to rebuild their church. And this part of the story is fascinating. As they come out of exile, and they come together to worship in Jerusalem, Ezra chapter 3, 10 to 13, tells us what happens. I'm going to read this passage so you. Just listen carefully to this. And after the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their holy vestments, in other words, their robes, the robes they always wore when they went to worship, They came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph came forward with cymbals, and they made a loud noise to praise the Lord according to how King David used to do it. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to God. Let me make sure you understand, this is the whole nation. This is thousands and thousands of people. And here's what they were saying. For God is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. And why? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Now, can you understand why they'd be excited, right? This pagan king has given them permission. He's paying for it. And he sends them back to their homeland. And they're building a new church. And they're saying, wow, what God is doing right now is crazy. But verse 12 is amazing. This is what caught my eye. When I was reading this passage last week, figuring out what I was going to preach on this, I could not get this weird picture out of my head. Verse 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses, all of whom were old men, who had seen the first temple, they were crying with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the new temple being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the old guys crying, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Isn't that weird? So here's what happens. The house of God is reestablished. Understand how it happens, right? A pagan king is paying for it. Crazy, a nation is worshiping, saying, wow, look what God has done. He has brought us out of our dark past, brought us to a new, fresh start. And then some old religious guys are weeping over the old house that they lost. They're crying. God is doing all this amazing stuff. Everybody else is worshiping, and all they can do is cry over the past. But the worship drowns out the weeping, which is a cool thing. But think about what God just did for them. Through a pagan king, what they have accomplished is credible. They're building a new temple, and the old people cry over the lost one. Notice that they were crying over the lost temple, not crying over their past sin that caused them to lose the temple. They weren't crying over their failures. They were crying over their past religious experience. Woe is us. There's this new thing that God is doing in this new temple, but we'll never be able to worship like we used to. Guys, is it just me or is that kind of strange? is that kind of like sick a little bit? It's almost immature. Watch this. In the theological side of it, let me explain to you what God is doing in this passage, Okay? A fresh start is a now thing, not a then thing. And let me explain. If our connection to the Heavenly Father was dependent upon the past or our past, can you imagine how empty that relationship would be? See, God's hand is a now hand. God's work is a now work. God moves in the heart of a pagan king so that God's people could worship him again. God restores the house of the Lord that was lost because of Israel's disobedience in the first place. God is, at this point, stunningly active at that very moment in ways that you would think would just blow everyone's mind. And for the most part, it did blow everyone's mind, except for some. And it's really strange, right? But they express this great sorrow over the past, that they can never worship like that again. Even as God is at that very moment restoring them and redeeming them through incredible ways. You know why? It's because they couldn't understand redemption. But God moved the heart of a king, God restored his people to worship, and they didn't understand that redemption is the catalyst for a fresh start. Here's what they didn't understand theologically about what God does and how God works. Okay, this is important for you guys to get this before we can get the devotional side. Redemption, your redemption, our redemption is not about yesterday. Redemption is about now. And redemption is about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Let me explain this theological concept of how God expects us to walk with him. God does not expect us to live in the doldrums of the past, even when the past was good. Oh, I used to love the way we used to worship when I was a child. Watch this. Ecclesiastes, I love this verse, in 7, 8 through 10. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry or judgmental. Same thing. For judgment or anger lodges in the heart of fools. Fools. You'll see what he's talking about in the next verse. Say not, what is the former days? Why is it the former days are better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Did you know what Ecclesiastes is saying? When you talk about all the good old days of how we used to do church, the good old days of how we used to walk with God, Those were the days. Ecclesiastes says, no, that's that's a foolish way of thinking. That doesn't come from wisdom. That's arrogance. That's judgment. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. You see how God works? Redemption is not so that we look upon the past with glory. Redemption is so that we can look at the present and the now. I love this verse in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, the future, at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good one? Here's another one Paul says in Philippians 3:16, 3.13-16. Uh, to 16, Brothers, I do not count myself to have, ap- to have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, for I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God, In Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, he says, if you're mature, you're not somebody that lives and dwells and venerates the past. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God revealed that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And what he's saying is this there is a now, there is a now, not a past. So that's the devotional side of this. Here's the question for you. Are you a prisoner of the past? You see, what I want you to understand is a redemption, if you've experienced a fresh start, if you've experienced a connection with Heavenly Dad, redemption is a reason to long for the future, not a reason to obsess over the past. If you are obsessed about what used to be, whether good or whether it's bad, then you are missing out on the amazing blessings of what God is doing currently, right now, all around you. Think of the old men in Israel. They were weeping while everyone else was worshiping. People were singing about this fresh start, and all they could do was reflect On their old worship, and how the old worship used to be so good, it was so good, I'm crying that I can't do it anymore. And God is doing this amazing thing right in front of their face, and they can't praise, all they can do is cry. People were singing about a new, fresh start and all they could do was reflect on the old worship. But God wants to give out fresh starts every day. Let me explain. When you live in the past, you can't really expect the benefits and blessings of a fresh start. Because obsession with the past, and let me explain to you how we obsess with it. There's some ways where you obsess with the past. Past glory. Boy, I remember how good we were back then. Sometimes churches struggle with this. I remember back in the glory days of our church, we had all these people coming. We had all this type of stuff. It was great. Past glory. Or man, when I was in high school, I was thinner. When I was in high school, I was a good football player. I was a good athlete. Glory days. You know what else we obsess about? And don't, don't be offended by this. Okay, be offended by it. That's fine. Religious experiences. We obsess over past religious experiences like they are more magical than right now. Songs, liturgy, buildings and cathedrals. That's exactly what the old guys were crying about in Ezra. Is past religious experiences were so good, why can't today be like the old days? Well, you're not very smart when you ask that question. Ecclesiastes says. You know what else we can obsess about? Anger, bitterness, and lack of forgiveness. You know what else we can obsess about? Personal failures, which bring paralyzing guilt and depression in your life because you can't stop looking back. When redemption says, that's done, turn around, look forward. See, what happens is obsession with the past hinders your ability to see what God is doing right now. And it halts a fresh start in its tracks before it can even get started. And we have this obsession with nostalgia mixed in with the past. It shows in our love for our music and our liturgy and how we venerate tradition. Listen, we venerate tradition oftentimes over God's word. I got news for you. Except for the cross and God's word, nothing from the past is sacred. Nothing. The cross and God's word, nothing else is sacred. Nothing. Oh, it might be good. It could be beneficial. It could be negative. You could have learned stuff from it. It could be fun to think about, but it's not sacred. Hymns from 100 years ago, they're really good, they ain't sacred. Worship songs from 20 years ago—it can be really good. They're not sacred. The cross and God's word are sacred. 20 years from now, the hymn song, the, the worship songs we do now—they can be really good. They're not special. They're not sacred. What God is doing right now is sacred. The past isn't sacred at all. Even though we really work hard to make it so because we justify in our mind all the sinfulness of the past and we glorify what we think were the benefits. We need to shift our minds into realizing that what God is doing right now, what God is doing right now is what is sacred. Imagine what your connection with Heavenly Dad would be like if we could venerate the now more than we venerate the things from the past. Could you imagine if you thought of now as being better than all the good times in the past? Can you imagine how effective your connection with Heavenly Dad would be if you'd recognize that he is a God of now and not then? What if we loved this very moment with God, this one right here that we're enjoying, what if we loved this moment with God Far more than any other moment in our past lives. What effect would that have on your ability to embrace a fresh start? Why would you want to go back? Little illustration this is a great time of year to go to the post office. So last week I had to go to the post office to deliver some packages. It was a really long line, you know, it was out the door. And I was waiting for like 15 minutes and I got halfway up the line and I realized, oh no, I don't have my wallet. And no, I can't ask somebody to hold my place in line because it ain't in my truck. So I get in the truck, I drive home, I come back, and the line is even longer than when it was when I first started. And I had to wait all the way through it again. Do you understand that the past is farther away from seeing Jesus face to face than today is? I don't care how good you think it was. It's terrible compared to what today is. Even if you're struggling in sin right now, if you know Christ, you are a day closer. And what is sacred is now. What is not sacred is the past, except for the cross and God's word. What effect would it have on our lives if we could venerate now more than we venerate yesterday? Because Let me explain what grace is. Grace simply means fresh starts daily. And there's some theological concepts I'm going to weave into this to make sure that you understand. First of all, you know what grace gives us? New reasons and new ways to worship him. New reasons and new ways. You doubt me? Boom, read that one. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The very word new means New. It means not old. He put an old song in my mouth. (laughs) That sounds terrible, doesn't it? He put a new song. He put a new reason to worship, a new reason to praise, a new reason to say, hey, past, we had some good times, but I'm moving on because now is sacred. You know what else grace does? Grace daily, and this is a powerful, powerful verse. It gives new experiences of mercy. You want some more proof that God is a God of now? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are recycled every morning. Is that what it says? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Mercy is brand new every day. And if we can start to recognize that we no longer have to be a prisoner to the good times or the bad times from yesterday, but what we can venerate and realize is sacred is Heavenly Dad's connection with us right this moment. Let's just pretend. I know there's a long shot. This probably won't happen. But let's just say this ends up being the best worship service of your lives. Okay, let's just pretend. Tomorrow will be better. No matter how good it is today, tomorrow with Heavenly Dad is better than today. You know why? You're a day closer. Can you, can, you, can you get your mind around that? And Tuesday, we better than Monday. Wednesday, you get sick. You're in a fight with your wife. It's still better than Sunday. Because we venerate and we make sacred what God is doing right now. Because we're a day closer to Jesus. And that is why I can say with extreme theological confidence, today with God is always better than yesterday. Today with God is always superior in our lives than yesterday with God. Why would you want to live yesterday with God? That's done. Today's where you are. Today is the day to live with God, not yesterday. Don't be like the old men who were crying over past experiences when God says, I have a whole new list of fresh mercies every morning that I want to just ed- I want to douse you with them. I want you to drown in the steadfast love that never ceases. Today with God is always better than yesterday. Check. Hey everybody i'm kim and yeah <laughs> and um my i have trouble with worrying and stressing um and really knowing that things are going to turn out the right way and so i really want to make my fresh start that i'm going to give it to god no matter what and trust in him with all my heart and soul